This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hear me? I did. I heard you. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need. You just say that and they show up. They come jumping out of a shrub. Oh, cool. No matter where you are in life, when you need the coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hi, my name is Jim Carrey, and I feel warm all over about being Conan O'Brien's friend, except when his hair blocks out the sun, <laughs> then I can catch a chill. <laughs> Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell. Shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey, Conan O'Brien here, and uh, welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. True now more than ever. <laughs> we are, this is the second episode of our third season, and boy, uh, I think all of us are feeling like we need a friend. Uh, this much into COVID. I think it's been seven years now. <laughs> I'm not sure I lost track for a while. Actually, this, I have to say, we've had some very nice uh, comments online about people being happy that we're back. I, I think no one's happier than than I am because I'm I'm so starved to be talking to people and interacting and uh, to, to get to do the podcast feels like a real blessing. It really does. I mean, I, I, I know no one enjoys it when I'm sincere and it won't happen again, but yeah. it's been, um, I'm so happy that we're, <laughs> we're making these podcasts because it really is fun. It's fun to get to make these. I'm joined as always by my skeptical assistant, Sonoma Sessian. Yeah. It's nice to hear that you missed me and Matt. I like the process of podcasting. There's ups and downs with the process. Uh, I like the technical aspect of it, the microphones, the machinery. <laughs> oh, you're real gear. No, no, no. Huh? No, I, do, I am. You know me. You I'm like a, the machinery more than your your pals. Uh, please. Uh, I find you to be necessary evils, I guess is what we'll call you. No, I do. I'm, I'm so into the gear of podcasting. That's how good a podcaster uh, I am. Of course, using one of my favorite microphones right, right. now. What brand is that? Uh, this would be the Ruan 44. <laughs> Because of the tenor of my voice, this has a, a 84 uh, hexalite okay. parabola scan. So what it's able to do 
is really give me the resonance uh, that I that I need. I'm sorry, did you say ruin? I would have to listen to the playback to hear what I said. <laughs> okay. Uh, <'cause, laughs> oh, you forgot what the brand of the microphone was? Well, I'm was? such an enthusiast that uh, <laughs> I get so excited that, but yeah, you're- Wait, what? <laughs> you get so excited that you forgot the name of the microphone? Occasionally, you know. Okay. <laughs> it's, I, I, that happens sometimes. I'll really, like a Beatles song will come on that I love, and I so love the Beatles that I'll be like, these guys are great. I don't remember the name of the band, oh. but- <laughs> You know, you know that happens when you get really excited sure. about, you're really, you know, yeah. uh, happy to see your wife again after you haven't seen her for a while and you don't know her name just because of the excitement. Anyway, um, what kind of microphone are you using over there, Matt? Oh, I'm working on a Sennheiser myself. Oh, the old Sennheiser. Those are fantastic. I will tell you a true story that is one of the uh, things that you have to engage in if you are in late night television over the years is, uh, and much more in the past than now, but I used to have to do a lot of photo shoots you know, you, if you were, if a magazine was going to do a story about, you know, the redheaded quipster of late night, uh, they would, you, they would set up a photo shoot and I would show up and I did one thing over and over and over again. It would always work. The photographer would come out and I'd say hello. And the photographer would start taking pictures of me on this soundstage, you know, in New York or LA and he'd be taking pictures and very clearly on the front of the camera, it would say Hasselblad. And I, the guy would be taking pictures. You've probably even seen me do this, Sona. And I'd be like, yeah, that's, yeah, and, and the person would be taking pictures for a while and be doing the chit chat. And they always play kind of like cool music to put you in the mood and which always just made me self-conscious. But uh, they'd be taking pictures and I would see that the guy had a camera and it says Hasselblad right on it. And I go like, at some point I just go like, what is that? Is that a, is that a Hasselblad? And the guy would be like, he'd lower his camera and go, what, you're into cameras, man? I went, I love them. I love them. <laughs> and then it would say next to it, and you could clearly see it. It would say like Hasselblad, you know, 4.4. And I'd say, what is that, a 4.4? And be like, it is a 4.4. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, it's just my thing. It's really my thing. And he'd be like, shit, man. And then he'd put it on, eventually they put it on sticks, you know, to get a, you know, a, a lock shot. And it would say right on the tripod, this is the actual name, Sackler. Sackler's the name of a tripod. And I'd be like, Oh, using the Sackler, huh? And he'd be like, shit, man. <laughs> and people would be like looking at each other. And I'd be like, yeah, I love you. I mean, you got a Hasselblad. You got a 4.4. You got a Sackler. And then I would always take it one too far. I'd go like, what is that? Uh, and it would say on the side, some German thing like Miltenstein. And I'd say, so you're using the, uh, what is that, Miltenstein? And then, and then he'd always, that's when they would look. And, yeah. go, and they'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but for a while, I'd be like, hey, man, that's my thing. You know, that's my thing. So, um that's a little peek into my life. I used to waste people's time. Yes, used to. And now you've done it to our millions of listeners. <laughs> well, it's free. <laughs> that's true. That's my, uh, that's my, that's always my excuse for this bullshit. It didn't cost you anything. Um, so what's the problem? Uh, anyway, I, I don't think we can waste a lot of time today right. because we have uh, an incredible guest on mm -hmm. the show. Yep. Uh, my guest, of course, one of the funniest actors and comedians of all time. You can look it up. That's just a fact. You know him from such movies as The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, The Truman Show, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, just to name a few. Now he's authored the New York Times bestselling book, Memoirs and Misinformation, a fascinating quasi-memoir. I am uh, thrilled he is with us today. Uh, before I introduce him, I want to mention one quick thing, because we all know I'm talking about Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, uh, of course, is unlike any other person I've interviewed on the podcast so far. He is a force of nature. So there may be some audio hits and glitches here and there. Why, you ask? Because at one point in the interview, uh, Jim picks up the microphone for the speaker and 
paste it over his eye to turn himself uh, into a pirate, (laughs) I think. Uh, He is a whirling dervish, so he's not wearing headphones because that would literally be putting him on a leash. And uh, so you might hear some strange sounds. Sometimes the audio may be degraded. This is what happens when you try and record a creative hurricane. (laughs) I've had the same problem sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, made it about me at the end. Mm -hmm. Even when I'm talking to Jim Carrey, that's pretty hard to do. Anyway, thrilled he's here. Jim Carrey, welcome. This is the craziest experience because we're doing this over Zoom. You are not in the room with me because of this virus that I just heard about. But you're in the room with me. You know how? How? Look at that. This is my letter letter from Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Who writes letters, ladies and gentlemen. I wrote you a letter and you framed it. I framed it. But here's the crazy thing. It's COVID, right? So I'm doing all my own framing. So check out the edge of it. It's really warm. (laughs) I did it with an X-Acto knife. I did the edge there. I don't think you can see it, but it's really uneven and horrible. And that's how all my pictures are going to be in the house from now on. It looks terrible. You know, it was funny. uh, Orwell didn't think of that. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't it be pompous if I had sent you that letter already framed? Like my assumption was that it would mean that much to you. And if that's the way, whenever I sent anybody a letter because it was coming from me, I sent it framed. Yeah. With a lock of your hair in it. Can I ask you how you're really doing? Like, like I'm doing fine. bullshit aside. Okay, bullshit aside, I'm doing fairly well. I've, like all of us, had ups and downs, wondering when this is going to be over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to narrate what Jim's doing. Jim is now peering into the lens into his of the soul. Zoom camera, and he's holding uh, what looks like an eye patch over one eye. Uh, and uh, it's so clearly the bullshit's over. You really wanted an honest, emotional answer no, I'm from sorry, me I'm sorry. because I, you went right in. No, no, I'm having. I'm in a deep depression, Jim. And yeah, oh yeah, oh no. You're going to kid around now. You're going to make more of your no, faces. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This this is when you tell me you have cancer. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, what an idiot I am. Yeah, no, you would give it about 30 seconds and you'd be like, what kind of cancer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the easy cancers. Yeah. Celebrity cancers. <laughs> Celebrity cancers cost extra to treat. You know what I've done? I've grown my pompadour out so that now it's a giant, I don't know if you can see, it's just a mop that's falling over my face. Uh, it's an incredible yeah. thing. One of the wonders of the world. I, I, I like walking behind the waterfall myself, just on your eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> it's a famous scene in Last of the Mohicans where they're hiding behind a waterfall. Uh, you seem well. I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm doing okay. Fine. You know, I'm doing all right. Yeah, we're, we're hanging in there. We're, we're, we're part of something that's bigger than us. Yeah, I think Speak we're doing for the best yourself. we can. Yeah. There's a big bad uh, bruiser up top who wants to make a name for himself. So, well, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know either. I don't know either. I've forgotten the name. <laughs> Head of General Electric, I suppose. It's just a uh, guttural response now. <laughs> President. <laughs> President. <laughs> President Gut Punch. Yeah. <laughs> President Daily Outrage. <laughs> 
When did you get your American citizenship? When did you become an American citizen? Was it just in time for Trump? Is this an ice thing? Have they got just- you, man? <laughs> your door's going to ring in about half an hour. I'm doing so men- the jobs that Americans aren't willing to do. <laughs> okay. We hadn't had a really good leading man in comedy until you came. Because no one's willing to everyone do it. Go- no one wanted to do comedy. It's a shit job. Yeah. Everyone just wanted to look good. And then you said, I'll do it. That's right. And then we villainized you, demonized you for coming from the North. Boy, oh boy. And taking, it's so taking our comedy. It's so worth it. You know why? Yeah. Why? Couldn't think of anything. <laughs> First, we got a lot to talk about. There's a lot to cover here. And um, first of all, I want to take you down a couple of notches because you've been getting away with murder way too long, in my uh-huh. opinion. Okay. Uh, no, seriously, uh, we got to bring you down. Okay. Oh, yeah. Is that what this podcast is about? That's what this is all about. This is podcast is called Rip You a New One. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. Rip You a New One with Conan O'Brien would be Yeah, great. you have a very bad publicist because no one else does it. And then you were like, I'll do it. And then you and ripped then, your face off and you're Ali G. And I'm like, come on, <laughs> guys. You, you know, I find this to be very eerie. You wrote uh, a book that I really enjoyed. That's why I wrote you the letter that's framed and hangs behind you on the wall, something you affixed to the wall seconds before this podcast began. <laughs> <laughs> it was in a toilet. <laughs> anyway, uh, your your memoir, uh, Memoirs and Misinformation, which you co-wrote, you worked on it with this guy, Dana Vashon. Yes, very, I did. Very yes, terrific did. writer. Wonderful writer. And what's fascinating about this is anyone thinks a celebrity uh, memoir, they all think the same thing. And this is because it's coming from you. It's not what anyone, that's actually what I might expect, but a lot of, this is not a Jim Carrey memoir that anyone would expect in the normal sense. Uh, And what I find amazing is that you must have been working on this for a long time. The writing, I think, is, is really quite good. And there's a lot of really funny and dark stuff in here. But you're basically writing about the end of the world and it comes out during COVID. So I feel like you knew something that we didn't know. Well, it's it's amazing when we started working on this thing. It, it was it was like an eight year conversation that turned into a couple of years of intensive, you know, creative work. And we put our hearts and souls into it. Yeah, it was it was amazing as the time got nearer to releasing the book that we started noticing all these incredibly kind of weirdly uh uh, prophetic things that are happening. And suddenly there is a riot on Rodeo Drive and there is yes. know, all of these things yes. that are happening. And, and, uh, not to mention, I, I, I think as, as a writer, when you, when you let yourself actually, you know, write down and, uh, and hone what's coming rather than what you think they might like. You know, there's there's some weird clairvoyant thing that happens, you know, when you open yourself up to the universe. It knows better than you do what's about to happen. What I found to be really crazy is that, first of all, I love this uh, device, I'll call it. I'll call it a device, but you use real celebrities in the book. So Jim Carrey is in the book. Real celebrities. What an oxymoron that. I'm I'm just as real as anyone. Um, But you know what I loved is that first of all, I've I've we've known each other for uh, quite a long time. I've been to your house a bunch of times, so it's odd because you're describing Jim Carrey who shit has gone missing too, man. And I'm a little bit worried about it. I want to talk to you after the after the podcast. (laughs) A couple of things have gone missing. 
One of my golden globes it. is not accounted for. I'm not, I don't know what you know, it's very, you know what I found is very hard to sell a Jim Carrey golden globe. It's a very hard thing to sell. People are very worried about getting caught. Yeah, you have to change um, it to Drew. <laughs> I chiseled out the gym and I tried to, I tried to write in Drew with a Sharpie, but uh, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the people were suspicious. Um, yeah. But I've been to your house and it's funny because when you're writing about Jim Carrey at home, it's very funny and surreal, but there are also elements that I think it, I've been there and I feel like, yes, this is kind of a depiction of you at home, but it's also not. You've stretched it out and it's insane. And you have this very powerful electric fence and you have these dogs that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars that are trained to show you affection and love because you can't get that anywhere else. You gotta buy it at this point. <laughs> you gotta buy it at this point. But one of the things I really loved is that you have, you're name dropping and name checking people left and right and you're hanging out with them and it's hilarious because you, the Jim Carrey in the book has this incredibly insane relationship with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and Kelsey Which, Grammer this isn't is that always- far from reality. <laughs> no, it really isn't. <laughs> Apparently, uh, the one you created bought a dinosaur skull for a million dollars. It's a tiny stretch there, but- uh, A tiny yeah. stretch, yeah. You, you added- it being one of the greater, most, in, you know, most incredible- uh, eccentric characters living among us and yes. uh, and always always fun to have around and to to uh, exchange creative ideas with so we've had a thing going for a lot of years we have this thing called the obi award that we hand back and forth between just the two of us <laughs> a lot of tension about who's going to get it there's a big ten tense moment and someone's announced but uh yeah it, that that's been a fun part of this it's like you know, to you got to do a book on persona and and uh, transcending persona, you have to use some personas. You know, and the ultimate yes. place is Hollywood. But I loved. I was laughing out loud. This is one of the things I wrote you about. As I was laughing out loud at. Uh, you, Kelsey Grammer keeps appearing in the book yes. and we all know Kelsey's manner and his way of speaking and that he's that way in real life as well. So he keeps showing up in the book and there are moments where people are saying, Kelsey, shut the fuck up. <laughs> there's a, there's like a, a guru who's saying, Kelsey, please. And he keeps interrupting and yes. saying, well, cross I just talk, think. No cross talk. Yes, yes, yes. No cross talk, Kelsey. And, well, Kelsey um, does this wonderful thing, you know, that I've loved for years, his, his, his Pomp, his like befuddled arrogance and, you know, whatever it is that he does is just ama amazing. So he was the perfect character to cast in that part uh, the guy that's such a, a dedicated thespian that he loves the sound of his own voice and he he needs to express himself he can, because he needs to hear himself. He needs yes. to be heard, you know, which is uh, true of a lot of us. There's a lot of different characters and, and uh, I'm starting, it's starting to trickle in now the reactions and things. Nick Cage loves it. You know, I gave him all the best lines. So <laughs> whatever. No, but I was really happy because that could have really hurt if he didn't like it. Have you heard from Kelsey? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. But uh, well. uh, Joan Dangerfield uh, mm -hmm. uh, emailed me and was effusively complimentary about it and loved what, how I handled Rodney and our relationship going forward and everything and uh and said she had a ton of quotes in her mind and but those are the people i kind of was a little closer to and then i got a lovely email from anthony hopkins 
that uh, oh, and he's he's great in the book too. He's he a is wild, a, amazing character, and we give him this sad romantic background and all of these <laughs> wonderful dramatic things. That uh, you know, I wondered if he would go like, uh, I'd, I'd really uh, rather be asked if you'd like to expose my broken. <laughs> never heart. asked, you know, yeah, never asked. Never Always asked. beg forgiveness later. That's but uh, he came. He actually emailed me after he wrote it. He was thrilled to get it, and then I was biting my nails, and he emailed me uh, uh, two days ago and said that he was just so happy happy to be a part of such a wild, wild ride, and uh, that we broke all the rules, and it reminded of him uh, uh, him of James Joyce, and uh, you know, for me, that's that 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 makes my heart go a flutter. You know, the uh, portrait of a uh, portrait of an artist as a young man was a really important book. And uh, so he was just really happy to be part of it. And he said, thanks for including me with all the big shots. And uh, he was just lovely and humble. And warm. isn't that nice that he doesn't think he's one of the big shots? That's that that makes me I mean, yeah, I've always yeah. liked the him, best but... are always like that. The best the best people. I mean, you know, the best people know they're good. They're not the rub it in your face, but also, you know, that's, you know he that's has no insecurity. Of, I've always been amazed by him. He's one of yeah. the only guys I've ever seen in this world who I don't know where he is age wise. He's in the seventies uh, or early seventies. I hope I'm not doing him wrong, but he's kept his vitality in movies. He can still be a leading man in movies. Yeah. That's an extraordinary yeah. accomplishment. Jim, I hate to, uh, this is awkward. I just Googled it. He is 44 years old. God damn it. I'm <laughs> so sorry. He's um, he's aged terribly. He's not vital at all. Um, he, <laughs> we need to do a rewrite. <laughs> you need to do a rewrite. Yeah, um, he was uh, he was in a bunch of silver spoons. You know what? His, uh, he's as a kid. not my problem. You know what I mean? His, his real <laughs> life isn't my problem. You know, there's something I want to ask you about, which is you wrote this book, and I think uh, there's a lot of bravery involved. I did yeah. my own research, by the way. Mine says eighty-two. <laughs> Where's the fake well, news, man? Who's putting out the okay, fake man. news now? I'm telling you, I got this off Fox. This is solid. <laughs> this is very solid. And we don't have to wear masks. So it's Straight from good. the mouth of the manatee. No, you know, it's funny because you, there's like a, a duality that you encompass that I find really fascinating, which is on the one side, you can take these uh, big risks and really go for it in a way where, you, as you just said, you try and connect with what you want to do and what makes you vibrate and not worry about how people will react. But at the same time, nobody can be a great comedian without an incredible need to please. Yeah. And you've got to have both of those. I mean, I, I mean, and, and when I look at you and the early work and the early years, I think one of the things that was so dynamic is that you would literally, if it made the audience laugh, you would swallow silverware and hurt yourself. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's this. Sure, it's but this, I also so, have another side to me, which is the rebelliousness uh, against that. So every 20 shows at the comedy store, I would go with the, you know, expressed determination of getting in a fight with the audience on purpose. Yeah. I would actually purposely get up on stage and start being derogatory and negative and whatever and self-indulgent and singing songs and doing whatever until there were things flying through the crowd, you know, like chairs some nights. And, uh, you know, some some nights it was like New Year's Eve with swizzle sticks and whatever's and just the angry, bloody faces going, fuck! 
Fuck you! Get off! Be out of my mind! You know, and, uh, and, That's what we all want. Yeah. In comedy, and, yeah. And, and of course, that made me go even further. And one night I stayed up at the comedy store at the, on stage for two hours. And by the time I left... They cheered. They gave me a standing ovation for leaving. And, <laughs> and then I crawled through the crowd and stood up in, in, in uh, behind or sat up behind the piano during the next person's act and started banging on the keys and singing, I hate you all. You gave me cancer. And <laughs> until you the know- entire audience left. So there's this weird double thing going on where I, I want to disrespect the world enough that I can tell the truth. You know, but I am willing to do anything to get to, to get a laugh for sure. You know, it's fa- it's, it's interesting to me that uh, a bunch of things come to mind. One, Ace Ventura, you you went into it with an idea about what you wanted to do to the leading man in a movie. It's so fascinating because you've said you wanted to destroy the leading man, the concept of the leading man in a movie. The guy with the answers. Yes, yes, and all yes, the cool the, moves, yeah, and and all the cool moves. You wanted to blow that up, but at the same time, people w- loved it. <laughs> so they it's this it. crazy thing we where loved you it too. Tom Shadyac and I were like sitting there in the dailies every day, howling with laughter, out of control with laughter, and then and then walking out and going, "We're finished." <laughs> right. This is either going to be a cult classic or we're done forever. We'll never work again. You know, I think one of the things that um, I responded to so much, in, you know, right away was I've always loved comedy. And it's uh, one of the things that I always loved is someone behaving comedy where someone's behaving outrageously, outrageously. And people notice and make kind of an, you know, mm, yes. Well, anyway, Mr. Ventura, right this way. And it's like, if someone behaved the way Ace Ventura behaved when he walked in the door for six seconds, they'd say, you got to get the fuck Doing out shadow of here. You got to go. Twisting your nipples and things <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are no longer needed here. But what I love about that kind of comedy, and you see it with uh, Clouseau, with Peter Sellers, someone coming in and doing something completely outrageous and people are like, mm, and he's just destroyed a suit of armor and uh, an antique piano and the house is flooding. And they're like, mm, this way, Inspector. Let's go meet. You know what? It's not that untrue. I mean, it's a conceit in movies that people don't notice certain things or they just go like, okay, I'll deal with this later or something. But, uh, you know, real life is like that. People come in with an agenda and you'll find that all the time, especially being interviewed and stuff like that. There's a lot of times people aren't actually listening. There's an agenda and they're going like, okay, finish your line. And, you know, they're they're ready to go to the next, but they don't want to be thrown off the plan. So you can get away with quite a bit. I think Ali G, uh, not Ali G, uh, Sasha Cohen proves that a lot. How far you can push a person into absurdity, into a land of absolute absurdity and unacceptability. uh, And they will try to cling to an idea of normal. Yes. Yes. Which is always funny. Harpo Marx can walk up to somebody uh, at the maitre d' at a restaurant and he can take out a giant scissors from his pocket and cut the guy's tie off. Yeah. And the guy will go, anyway, this way to your table. Like, no, that's where everything would stop in real life. But it is true that one of the things I've, I've really enjoyed and I, I, I feel like you more than most anyone I can think of, maybe anybody I can think of has, 
you're always pushing, <laughs> you're always pushing, what can this person do that still allows him to barely exist in society because no one wants to, they need something from you. They need something from your character. They need- Well, you know, like you said, Clouseau, Peter Sellers got away with a lot of that. You know, Chaplin to me was uh, inspiring in that direction because he changed every moment into something magical. You know, he, yeah. he, he made magic happen with every little mundane moment. So I, you know, I, I think that way. I also think in the way of like not pandering. You know, uh, of like, I, I have a pandering switch, you know, that I, that I, that I, I not only try not to do that, but I try to go in the opposite direction, which is, you know, and I've challenged my audience a lot. You know, I've gone off on these tangents in my life and my creative career and stuff and, and left them kind of scratching their heads while I develop a new limb to bring back to the tree, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's happened that way. And I've, I've been able to explore all these different areas. Like this is, this is such new ground for me, man. This is writing a novel is just an extraordinary accomplishment for anybody. You know, right, I can say right. that for myself because I'm only half responsible for this book, but you know, the book is, is a, is a ton of blood, sweat and tears and, and, and uh, a ton of fun. You know, I do feel like there are moments in the, in the book because you're talking about Jim Carrey and Jim Carrey's living, Jim Carrey's life in, in the book, it, it bears a lot of similarity to your own life. And then there are insane departures. There are just crazy departures from it, but there are truths in there, like the pressure that Jim Carrey in the book is getting to stay relevant from powerful industry types. And you need to make this movie and that stuff, you know, you keep wanting to go and make this incredibly artistic project where you play Chairman Mao and, uh, and, and people are, people are saying, of course the studios don't want that. And they want you in the hungry, hungry hippos movie. <laughs> and, and, you know, I have to and say managers as well. They're like, yeah. look, we made the box. The box works. <laughs> Get back in it. Get inside the box. When you're describing it, first of all, first of all, uh, I know that you and uh, and and Dana Vachon created this. The flip side to the artistic project is the Hungry Hungry Hippos movie, which is already pre-sold and guaranteed to make a billion dollars and everyone wants it and they want you. And so you're getting all this pressure to do it and you don't want to do it. So you clearly have loathing for that project. When I was reading the book, I thought this actually sounds like a good movie. I think I would go see it. You never know. Which makes me, which makes me a moron. <laughs> Maybe a spinoff. I was interested that that felt like that's true. Like, I'm sure that you've had pressure before. Oh, for sure. Say, it's a constant. It's a constant. You know, every, every decision you make has to be weighed against, like, am I artistically selling out? Is this cool to be doing? You know, and then you got your people you want to take care of. You got, you, you, there's a whole consideration that goes on with every everything i i generally find myself a lot flying in the face of what's expected or mm -hmm. at least delving into new territory that uh that is risky you know right. and and right. and that that to me is life that to me is yeah. what makes life worth living man it's like jacques Cousteau doesn't stop in the, the tide pools man he keeps exploring well he doesn't right. anymore he's dead as a door yeah he died he died because he <laughs> he he went he went too deep yeah uh, that's he right. went too deep was, and he died he's the bends right he explored and he shouldn't have and he should have stayed in the tide pool and uh creatively been safe that's uh, right so your own example is a fucking terrible example. exactly he should have just sat on the pool you want to be jacques Cousteau. tray no i think 
he was like hit by a sob coming out of a restaurant. I think he was. <laughs> was, no, he? was what a way to no, go. I, I made that up. I'm just pretending I have a fake Google here. Yes, it says here hit by a sob at the age of Let's 32. Start some fake news, wow, shall incredible. We? <laughs> he was very young and he had never actually didn't never never learned how to swim. They always CGI'd that part. Was he on the Epstein list, by the way? Can we say that? <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can't just include uh, somebody on that. Well, I, I don't think you can retroactively start adding people to the Epstein list. Oh, okay. So, no, where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there. California. (laughs) California, Sona. No matter where you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So, Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching, you can go hiking in Yosemite, and then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want, they got it in California. Hey, if you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. It's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loud speaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what, what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do 
and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. <laughs> that's one over one billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's another part of the book where when you go to make this movie, basically what they do is they put you in the ultimate motion capture suit and they capture the essence of Jim Carrey. And then they're basically saying, you, we don't need you anymore, but you're going to make a ton of money. And you realize that what would have been completely absurd 15 years ago, if you had written that now seems 95% possible. It's that question that's being raised now. Do you even own yourself? You know, the IP and the, the, the corporal rights to your personality is like, what will happen? to the things I've said or done, you know, I mean, right now you're seeing an atmosphere where you got to worry about what you said 30 years ago or what creative joke you had 30 years ago might come back to haunt you or whatever it is. Who knows what's going to happen to us as personalities. I just, I loved that idea. And I love the idea that in, in order to like, one of my favorite things in the book is uh, the idea that, you know, if you just leave Jim Carrey alone for 48 hours without a compliment, he'll sign the papers. <laughs> There's got to be some, see, see, that's what I wanted to say is that there's a bunch of little clues in this book that I do feel resonate with the real you because it felt like, yeah, there's a grain of truth in there, which yeah. would certainly, and, and I say this, that would certainly ring true for me is if, <laughs> if no one paid attention to me for 48 hours, I would literally do anything they told me to. <laughs> I would, and the other thing is you talk a lot about the people that are managing you or trying to control you. <laughs> They're constantly floating a name of another actor who could get the part, another A-lister. And what's funny is I thought that's funny and also I'm sure somewhat true. I'm sure people are saying, hey, Jim, if you don't do it. Depp's going to jump know, right in there. <laughs> Johnny Depp's going to do it. And then there's a part of you, and you admit this in the book, that's thinking, Christian Bale's Fuck. not afraid of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you chase yeah. hounds all fucking day. Exactly. One of the things I've always really appreciated in all the time I've known you is that anytime over the many years you came on my show or did anything when I toured and you said you, you wanted to show up and do something, I didn't know anybody who would go that far and put that much work into it. And I'll never forget you, you show, you came once and you, and you wanted to do uh, a biopic called the Conan O'Brien story where you played me and you spent hours, you spent hours getting the makeup and the giant wig. And it was you playing this incredible, I don't know where you got the idea for this character, incredibly narcissistic freak <laughs> uh, and <laughs> who's abusive, abusive to everybody around him. And you throw hot coffee. I had to dial it in. down a bit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you did a muted version of Conan O'Brien. What was amazing is that's one of my favorite things that we ever did on the late night show. And it's a photograph that I have up in my study. I'm 
I have like some photos on the wall of cool moments and it's you in the giant wig and me standing next to you as we were taping it. And see, in my mind, I'm looking at a room that looks like some kind of psycho murderer with a bunch of pictures and stuff and strings that go to different (laughs) things. It's, it's the room they break into when they realize that your life is in danger. It's like they break into that room to be me. And in a way I am in a way I am. Uh, but anyway, you would go, you would go, uh, you came when we did shows in, uh, we did a week of shows in Toronto and you came and you, I mean, you sang a song, you sought a lady in half, you, you know, you, you, cl- you climbed up in the ceiling. And then at the end, the crowd was going insane and you were uh, with the band playing bongos after the show was over yeah. and people were like, no one would leave because you were there playing bongos with the band. And I thought, I always appreciate people who, to them, it's like a religion. The comedy is a religion, meaning, no, you keep doing it or your art, whatever you want to consider it, you do it when no one's looking. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure I get the sense that you- I do plenty of that. Yes, yeah, no, but I'm serious. Uh, People that do comedy when there's no one around and there's no camera and you're completely alone in isolation, but something occurs to you, you might do a bit with a tree. Yeah, I talk to myself all the time. It's amazing. I'm worried about you. Yeah. Well, you know, see, here's the thing. Uh, I am am equally shut in and a social butterfly. I, I, I love energy of people. I love being face-to-face with people. I love talking to people. I love entertaining people. I also love to be alone. You know, Mm -hmm. like I have two worlds. And when I get out in that world and I get around your energy and I get around the energy of the band, I love artists, musicians, uh, you know, any, anytime I have contact with people that, that make a living making a song out of life, you know what I mean? Just like going, okay, I'm going to turn all this disparate, all these disparate worries and, you know, uh, problems and, and, and alchemize them into something totally cool and beautiful that people can laugh at and diffuse everything. Yeah. You said you want to free people from concern like that. That's a quote of yours. If, if, if it's a serious role, I mean, even if it's a serious role, if it's a serious role or a comedic role, that's what your aim is. I think you, uh, you must have like a Hippocratic oath, which is you, you, you embody all of these to me, you, you embody all of these dualities. And one is part of you wants to blow it up. And the other part wants to do no harm. Like the Hippocratic oath, you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And I get the sense that if you, someone told you, you know, you kind of hurt that person's feelings, you would be devastated. Yeah, I would absolutely be hurt. Yeah, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. There's, there's no malice in my game. The only uh, hints of malice, I believe, are just, it's just me, me making fun of human quirks and ego, you know, and it's not making fun of the celebrity themselves, but it's making fun of the system and the ego system. You know, there's, there's no malice in it. The, the only bit of malice I might have is towards giant, you know, corporate entities that hide in the shadows, you know, right, and control right. everything, you know, so I will take my pot shots at them. And Dana and I wanted to like make sure that we didn't kill the sacred cows, but we took them for a nice fucking joy ride. Right. Well, let's watch the language. This is a show primarily for kids. Is it for kids? <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is this, this a Nickelodeon radio network. I believe the children are our future. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had an amazing experience with you, which is I was at your house one time and then not that long afterwards, you invited me back over and I came over and I, I want to say like six months had gone by. 
The house was completely different and it was filled with your artwork, all of which you had made in the span of time. I mean, it was clearly, clearly coming from a kind of manic place, but I, I was really stunned by how Who much stuff you? you would put out. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I judged you. I judged you. And I, that's remember you when I put a dart. You diagnosed me on yes, the air. Yes. And with no credentials whatsoever. <laughs> I've been on television for 27 years, You've seen a lot which of gives me the right, idiots. which gives me the right I've to prescribe. I've seen a lot of idiots in my time. <laughs> <laughs> I put you, remember, I'm the one that put you on Ridlin and uh, against your will. I gave you little injections in the carotid and you calmed right down. <laughs> and I started you forming can... sentences. <laughs> it was wonderful. I want to say one other thing about the book, which is that there's so much um, that is... It could be farcical or it could be seen as, you know, crazy, impressionistic extrapolation. But also, I could really get a sense of your dad in the book, you know, like your connection to your dad and made me think that I could relate to because my own experience, I think, mirrored yours, which is when I was a kid, I watched my dad like a hawk. If something made him laugh, when I was like three, I was like, that's the way in. Because Did your you watch Sullivan? Your yeah. I used to watch Sullivan with my dad, and I used to watch Rodney Dangerfield on Ed Sullivan with my dad. And, and I so would just, Rodney would make your dad laugh, and then you would my think- my dad laugh, and I'd act along with it and just love it, every minute of it, until I started understanding the jokes. Right. You know? And then right. I laughed for real. But, but uh, yeah, it was- it is that. It is a mirror thing. It's like my father was the funniest man on the face of the earth. Uh, it just absolutely hilarious and animated in every way. Like he was a living cartoon. When he told a story, it was like, what's this? And then the guy comes in and he goes, hey, geez, I'm Chet Baker. <laughs> I just looked at myself for a second. I looked like Chet Baker. I don't know why. That just like, I'm falling out a window. My funny Valentine. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, funniest man you ever met. Rodney Dangerfield loved him. He was absolutely insane around Rodney. One-liners. Because, let me explain to anyone who doesn't know, you opened for Rodney for years, and he was sort of your mentor. Yeah, I, he used to stand off the side of the stage in his robe, the classic Rodney in his robe, standing off the side of the stage with his, you know, his balls hanging, you know, basically <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a perfect timekeeping pendulum. Um, <laughs> Oh, you had to reset it every once in a while. But, you know, it was pretty accurate. Constantly 12 o'clock. So, yeah, I, he found me, uh, he saw me up in Canada. And we had a completely different view of things from up there. I think that... It might be one of the reasons so much brilliant comedy has come out of Canada is that you guys are close, but you're not here and you're smart. It's a very literate, smart country. And you guys are, you're watching us and you're like sleeping in the next bed, watching your brother have a nervous breakdown. And bit, so yeah. you get to, do you, do you think there's some truth to that maybe? Yeah, that's the feeling. The feeling is powerlessness right across the board, man. I'm equally uh, with the good and the bad in this. You know, I just think we should all be honest about what's going on, you know, and yep. that's, that's yeah. all. I wish there was a way to let the people know that don't agree with me, that disagreement isn't hatred. We can disagree without hating each other. And uh, we, we, need to, we need to broom the White House, man. We just need to broom the White House. I don't know. I, I think I was talking to my kids about it today. They're in their mid-50s. And uh, <laughs> I was, um, I had them buried when I was three. And, uh, <laughs> but I, 
I was talking to him today and I was, I, I keep going back to the same thing, which is my anger is also directed at enablers, people around him who are saying, oh, they're hey, worse, you know, they're worse. this is, he's helping us get what we want and uh, he's getting us a tax break. So let's pretend he's, let's pretend the bus isn't out of control. I want to see all of those Republican senators lined up in hell, fluffing the devil, getting him ready for Trump. <laughs> Well, that would mean you're in hell with them, Jim. I get to visit. Oh, you just visit quickly and you you get it like an ice. a lot of good uh, stuff, man. A mango iced tea and you the devil's like, no, you're just here for a short time. I got a backstage pass. I got a backstage pass. <laughs> You've got a pass. I got two sixes and a five. Not quite yeah. there. But. <laughs> Jim, uh, will you be staying? Uh, you know what? I have some things I got to do. Oh, of course, of course. Would you like something cool to drink? So we're not going to be bell sewing. I just heard ring. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, listen, you know, I can't go with you on these uh, anti-Republican rants. I just can't. You know, it's very simple. Bob Dylan said it. Yeah, but no one understood it. He was mumbling. <laughs> no, Bob Dylan said it. He said, what's up, That's all. It just doesn't work this way. It doesn't work this right. way. It doesn't work this way when, when we hate each other. It doesn't work this way when we don't understand each other. When we can't go as far as like removing painful reminders of slavery to people. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know that's, that's not that far to go. You know, that's not mm-hmm. your culture. That's that's a, that's a dark part of the culture that reasserted itself during the civil rights movement. And, right. you know, and right. it's, that's just not right. And I think it would all of those Confederate statues would would make a wonderful marine environment for sea life. Yes. <laughs> right at the no, no. Of fucking Marianas Trench. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I you know, what? I'm going to go a little further. I think. All those statues should come down. And I think the minute you put up a statue of any human being, it's problematic. I mean, I, I do. Idolizing anybody is a strange thing. Yeah. Let's hope it never ends. No, I don't. I think only celebrities should be idolized. I feel strongly about that. People that have worked in film and people that have worked in television, uh, um, people that have primarily worked in comedy. Those are the idols. Those are the people that should always be paid the most. Those are the people that should always be preserved in the culture. And consider uh, seriously as and philosophers. Seriously. Yes. Well, I think we've done a lot of great philosophizing here. Listen, Jim, I've kept you for a long time, but please do a follow-up to this book uh, where I get a Conan O'Brien gets to be in it and I'm an incredible womanizer. Okay. That's all I want. It's Fantastic. just an incredible womanizer who's in Insatiable. I give you permission. I'll call it stating the obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jim, uh, always lovely to talk to you. Great talking to you, man. I love you and you're wonderful. And I love you as a person and as an artist and as a friend. And uh, and, uh, I I want you to protect me because you're bigger. I am slightly bigger. (laughs) And you know what? I will say a genuine thanks for... You've been incredibly nice to me uh, since the very beginning uh, and always generous with me. It's and, pity. And, it's and then, pity. I, it's a pity. <laughs> but uh, I've always appreciated that. There's a, there's a, real, there's a real kindness in you. And, um, you know, we don't get to see it much. But well, you bring the out, best out in me, man. You bring the best yeah. out. You do in people. So, uh, anyway. All right, Jim. God bless you, sir. Be well. And I look forward to uh, seeing you soon when the madness is over. Yeah, brother. Only six more years to go. That's it, man. That's it. We can do it. We can do this time standing on our heads. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT. Now ADT professionally installs Google Nest products so your home is safe 
and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security systems from virtually anywhere. Google Nest Cams can tell the difference between a person, an animal, a vehicle, or with the Nest doorbell, even a package. You can know that there's a package out there. I know. And not a person. You don't have to that do helps. anything. Yeah, sometimes a person rings the doorbell and I think it's a package. Anyway, <laughs> and with Nest Aware as part of your monthly ADT service, you can get 30 days of event video history, even smarter notifications like when a familiar or unfamiliar face is seen. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. You can view video of an alarm event and verify or cancel an alarm with just a tap. Mm. I'm always setting off alarms accidentally. This is helpful for me. Oh, good. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, well, you got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are trademarks of Google LLC. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. This is unbelievable. I've been talking about this idea for years. I know. I want you to explain it more. I can. Okay. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required access from anywhere. I had this idea years ago. (laughs) I was telling people no one listened to me. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems. Remember when I said that? Yeah. Because you've got one unified, unified business, business management, management suite. suite. You yes. said that. Yeah. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, man. Yeah. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Conan, netsuite.com slash Conan. I'm going to say it one more time just for emphasis, netsuite.com slash Conan. It is time now for us to review the state of the podcast. You know, there's a State of the Union address. Yeah. I think of myself as the president of the podcast, the commander-in-chief. It's constitutionally required that I, every year, give a State of the Podcast. And I address my minions. Okay. uh, Those with less power than me. No, no, they're all different branches of government. They just don't have power. And then there's me. And what I'm saying is that the state of the podcast is good. The podcast flourishes and thrives. We are in our third season Mm -hmm. of the podcast. You know, the rising tide has lifted all boats. We are coping during this time of pandemic. We have pulled together... And I think the podcast is stronger than ever. You're not the real president. <laughs> well, no, thank God. No, you're <laughs> you're pulling quotes, inspirational quotes from actual. No, I'm just saying. President, I, I like to, and as you, as you know, I am someone. I'm a fan of history, and I like to project confidence and calm. And I am saying, Matt, don't <laughs> don't you agree with me, Matt? That the state of the podcast is good. As much as I hate to agree with you, yes, I do. Yes, yes, it is flourishing. We started out, remember early on, people said, Conan can't have a podcast. It'll never work. Yeah. I don't think anyone said that, but I'm one of those people that likes to invent in my mind 
that people were against me. It helps me. Remember the Michael Jordan documentary? He was always fabricating that someone had dissed him so that then he could destroy them in a game. I'm so much like Michael Jordan. What? No. Yeah. Listen, it's more shocking than you'd think. It's huh. the tyrannical think, kind of thing. No, no, no. Yeah. We're, no, no. <laughs> we're similar ages, both very uh, naturally gifted athletes, um, both <laughs> an incredible desire to win at any cost. Uh, both, what? Both the face of the 90s he was the face of the winning in the 90s and I was the face of winning in the 90s what were you winning I was winning what was I winning man I was winning across the board I had the late night show killing it I was I was just hitting it with the ladies oh no though I really wasn't you weren't though right no no but listen what I'm saying is I was hitting it with the ladies no one says that Uh, hitting it with the ladies I was hitting it with the ladies Let's just break that down. What were you hitting exactly? It sounds like we were at some sort of state fair and they had whack-a-mole. Yeah, yeah. And they had two and they had two mallets. And there was a woman there who didn't want me to who was like, well, I'll just he can play alongside me. So I was technically hitting it with the lady. Oh, okay. That's my explanation for that one. Um, but anyway, no, no, please don't get me off track. The state of the podcast. In the beginning, everybody was against us. Uh, everyone said, you can't make it. This, There's no way. There's no way. He's too good looking. You know, that's why he's on TV. Oh. He can't be on radio. And so then this happens. It Not only do we succeed, but we excel. We exceed people's expectations. We sell an incredible number of fracture frames. <laughs> they haven't advertised on this show in 60 episodes. Is that true? Something like that. We did so many ads for them in the beginning. How come they went away? I think because they're getting all kinds of free ads every time you mention it. Well, Fracture, (laughs) hey, listen, if you have... If you have a photograph and it's not laser printed on glass, then you're a fucking moron. And then there's a fracture guy just going, can you believe this guy? He does it for us for free. Just let him roll. It's because early on on the podcast, I had to do so many ads for fracture that now I'm all I do is walk around our house and there'll be a picture of my uh, son on the wall when he was you know first born and it's hanging up in a nice frame but it's a photographic print yeah gross. and I tear it off the wall and smash it and yeah. go if this is either on glass <laughs> or I'll wipe my ass it, it rhymes okay um, anyway fracture they they I don't know why I keep mentioning them. You're saying that as your legs are just bouncing up and down. I know, like you I'm, have restless leg syndrome. I have like restless. I'm so zen. My mom, <laughs> I tell you this, at the dinner table, my, my leg, I always had restless leg syndrome and my leg would be going and my mom sat next to me. We'd all six of us, seven of us, whatever there were, <laughs> six kids, two parents, six kids, two parents and a grandmother. We'd all be sitting around this table the way Murphy Brown, they all crammed together around a small table and ate their lunch. Uh, we were all crammed around this table and my leg would be going and my mother would take her hand and she would put it on my leg and say stop it oh, <laughs> people will think something's wrong with you oh no <laughs> yes yes stop it people will think something's wrong with you and something was <laughs> and something was that's what's gonna make people think that something's wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> not the 
not the muttering. I am the, the least. Nonsense. I am the least Zen person that's ever lived. But that leg is like uh, the metaphor. You're the perpetual motion machine. It's always running, and you fuel this thing. Mm-hmm. I do, and that's why the state of the podcast is good. There you go. It's because I love doing the podcast. I really do. I enjoy it. Uh, Matt, do you enjoy doing it? Be honest. Yeah, sometimes it's a little scary. You know, why is it scary? Well, you know, I never know where what you're going to say to me, and I'm I'm just have to be ready for everything. You know. Well, but Matt, you should know that this is a safe space. It's the okay, most unsafe space I've on. ever been to, and I was in <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> No, 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 Matt, Matt, listen. No, this is I, creepy. Listen, this is scary. Matt, I joke and I I suppose I josh, but you should always feel safe, Matt. You should always feel safe. I would never, ever snap at you or try to demean you in any way on this podcast. And if I have in the past, and I don't think these things are, there's no record of them, so we'll never know. There's no way to go back and listen. But no, you're my friend. And when I say friend, someone I've been forced to work with. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, the way you said that to me and the way you looked, I'm going to share my screen with you right now. <laughs> this is, you're looking at me so nonplussed, like you're going to kill me. Nonplussed? That's my real face. That's just my face. Sona, I, I hope you're having a good time on the podcast. We just heard uh, from Matt that he sometimes feels afraid. Yeah. I have to say, I feel like I uh, really lucked out because I do the least amount of work on this podcast. Oh, you do? Yeah. Next to nothing. Uh, next to nothing. And so I get to just, you know, come in and, and talk with, you know, my pal Matt and, and you and it's nice. And then, you know, you have way more pressure than I do. And then Matt has to produce it. So I'm I really do the least. And it's it's a great position to be in. I have a theory that, you know, like all humans, I'm made primarily of carbon, carbon when pressurized turns into, Matt, tell us. Diamonds. Diamonds, that's right. I've always had a theory that <sighs> when I die, the coroner is going to cut open my chest and I'm going to be all diamond. <laughs> I'm carbon and I've been under incredible pressure yeah. during my entire lifetime. What do you think of that? I think that's a pretty accurate assessment, but I also think you put yourself under all that pressure. You don't have to yeah. be. I've you got could... to be. No, you don't, Conan. No. It, what's the movie where Al Pacino says it keeps me on the edge? Where I gotta be. Heat. Oh, yeah. In the movie Heat, he's talking to his wife, former wife. Yeah. And he says, it keeps me on the edge. That's also the movie right. where he goes, she's got a great ass. <laughs> Whoa, wait, is that true? Yeah. Which one? He says that in Heat? Yeah, he's having like a, a talk I've with like a, some it. street informant. And you can tell he's just kind of improvised it. And the look on the actor's face is not acting where he's like looking at the director going, what the fuck is going on right now? Yeah, she's got a great ass. Yeah, sometimes I love an odd choice in a movie that's there for all of time. I think I may have mentioned this, but on Wall Street, talk about odd choices. There's a scene where uh, Charlie Sheen and Martin Sheen are riding down an elevator together. And uh, Charlie Sheen's really mad at his dad because his dad just blew the big deal he had by speaking the truth and not going along with Gordon Gekko's plan. And he's like, Dad, Dad, that was such a great plan. How come you did this? How come you did this? And Martin Sheen's line is supposed to be, well, uh, sometimes some of us care more than just what's in our wallet. And he goes, well, some of us, sometimes we care more than just what's in our wallet. (laughs) (laughs) I want to play these. We should get the audio. It's in our wallet. (laughs) And and it's just like, you you swear to God, the audio people would have said, yeah, we got to go again. And and then the director would go like, yeah, yeah, let's get him, just get one more of those. I'll play the clips. This is Heat. Why'd I get mixed up with that bitch? Because she got a great ass! <laughs> <laughs> and this is Wall Street. 
What you see is a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his wallet. <laughs> okay, the state of the podcast is secure. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsession and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Joanna Solitaroff, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Becton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix.